Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 plus Fuel System Cleaner plus Fuel Stabilizer, delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Welcome to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan. Our first official guest of the new year is David Smith, the owner of the Motorsports Analytics website that provides a deep dive into NASCAR statistics. Beyond being NASCAR's answer to baseball's Bill James from a numbers perspective, David also is a talented writer, just as Bill James was. And he started the year with an excellent column on motorsportsanalytics.com entitled, Welcome to 2016, Part 2, that posed some very intriguing questions. Namely, where are all the changes that normally happen in the NASCAR offseason? So we spent most of this episode discussing that article as a jumping-off point for assessing the 2017 season and what David and I are expecting, and why NASCAR teams made moves, or more importantly, didn't make moves, over the offseason. We had David on a few months ago to analyze the 2016 season finale, and I'll note he correctly predicted the championship would be decided by restarts. We got really good feedback from that episode. David has some unconventional and informed perspectives that I think you'll like hearing. Okay, New Year's resolution, shorter spiel. If you're hearing us via iTunes, please leave a rating or review, or please subscribe. Many other options to find us, Audioboom, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, Also check out the rest of the NBC Sports podcasting lineup, all-star starters, and the curious credentials for some leading vote-getters is a hot topic in the NBA, and that was discussed on the Pro Basketball Talk podcast last week. Check that out. But now let's get to a true all-star of NASCAR stats, David Smith, and the conversation that we taped Thursday, January 12th, at our NBC Sports Charlotte studio. I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 plus Fuel System Cleaner plus Fuel Stabilizer, delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. 
STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 Plus Fuel System Cleaner Plus Fuel Stabilizer delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. David, uh, thanks for coming back to the podcasting studios here at NBC Sports Charlie, also known as the NASCAR America uh, live hit studios. Where, yes, it's very where television. Right? <laughs> yeah. uh, but you are, uh, I think, the, the well, you're the, the second straight time we've had a podcast guest here in person, and both times it's been you. So um, appreciate you, you making the trip down here to uh, uh, Uptown Charlotte. And um, want to talk about the season and a column that you posted on the first day of the new year. Yes. Which actually referenced last year. Uh, and I apologize for uh, asking the, the stupidest question of the day. The name of David's column, which is on motorsportsanalytics.com, is – and it's a free uh, entry. Yes, right? it is. Okay. So anybody can go and check this out. If you hear this and you heard David's last appearance, you're thinking about maybe subscribing to his website. Here's some free content that I highly recommend. It's, it's not um, let's eat the bones style driven stats work, but it's really good writing and it's really good perspective. And it's called Welcome to 2016 Part 2. And my dumb question was, I didn't miss part one, right? <laughs> uh, I suppose that's a valid question, actually. But no, it's in instead of 2017, this is just 2016, the sequel. Uh, and then from uh, from a NASCAR standpoint, that's because uh, nothing transcendent occurred over the off season. Um, Carl Edwards, notwithstanding, um, <laughs> yeah, he kind of came in and changed things a little bit eight days after you posted a, this, a little bit. Yeah. But the, the story I told, I believe still holds because I don't believe that anything changed the competitive aesthetic. Uh, there was no seismic driver or crew chief change, uh, that would have improved a team. Um, I think largely fans can expect to see a lot of what they saw in 2016, which was a lot of parody. And there's a lot of fans that are going to be really excited about that. When one team dominates for an entire season, it can sometimes be boring. You can check out at different points of the, uh, points of the year. Um, for me, I just find it uninteresting. It's just going to be more of the same. Um, from where I sit, I don't know what kind of competitive gains each team or manufacturer made. I think Toyota is a big, uh, uh, the biggest question mark heading into the new season with a, a radical new car design. Um, but from where I sit, it's going to look a lot similar to the way it did last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. I've, for me, that's a little bit uninteresting. If you're a fan of parody, it's a good thing. Right, right. So... The, the central thesis of the column, essentially, as is, is David kind of just encapsulated, is, is basically that not a lot has changed, and that is somewhat surprising because we've certainly seen off-seasons with great amounts of, of tumult in the past. And I, you know, I read this, and it, it struck me as like, wow, I hadn't really thought of it from that perspective. So I thought this would be a good way. We had good response, good feedback from David's last time on here when we analyzed the uh, the championship finale at Homestead Miami Speedway. I thought this would be a good way to sort of uh, have a scene setter for the 2017 season, um, kind of lift the curtain and, and talk a little bit about it through the prism of, of David's perspective here. So 
Here's here's one thing that um, I was doing some research, David, and uh, you know, to compare th- going into this year versus just even two years ago, going into 2015, there were 13 crew chief changes over a five month period leading into that season. Right. A dozen of which were engineer engineering based crew chiefs, and that was of course a, a trend story then. But I, I, I haven't even tallied it up, but it's got to be in the low single figures. I it's think. significantly less. Yeah. It seems that. Uh, teams were content with what they saw last year. And look, let's face it, the the most dominant team on a statistical basis uh, was the four team, Kevin Harvick and Rodney Childers. Um, Based on what they were able to do in terms of speed, uh, they dramatically underperformed. Um, It was a misfire that they didn't leave Phoenix a winner and get into the, uh, the finale at Homestead. I don't know that that frightens teams. Uh, I think that we saw that teams were unscared um, by their in their actions. Um, they chose to stick with continuity, and at times that can be a good thing. A, a young driver and a young crew chief learning each other for an extended period of time uh, usually can only provide a benefit. But if you survey the current environment um, there isn't one truly dominant team there isn't one thing to fear Mm -hmm. so every team in the sport looked at what the 48 team did jimmy johnson had relative to his past record a subpar regular season and ended up winning the championship thanks in part to the situation at Homestead and how it panned out. And that's what happens. That's that's just the game of, of racing nowadays mm-hmm. under this new championship format. Um, but it didn't motivate a single team to go out and make a dramatic change in hopes of uh, let's, let's do this now. Let's take a competitive kill shot. No one bothered to pull the trigger. Mm-hmm. And uh, the part that sort of amazes me i think is we as a as a, a a people not just nascar fans but we uh we approach a lack of a strong man or a lack of fear with ambivalence we just assume that the status quo is okay in that instance uh i look at what happened in the uh the nba offseason last year a 73 win team the golden state warriors the most regular season wins in basketball history signed the best available free agent on the market because they weren't satisfied with the status quo because they lost the championship in seven well, games right but Cavs. even but even then if you if you backtrack it to february march they there was a, there was a yahoo yeah. uh adrian uh Wojnarowski reported that the warriors were planning uh, to make overtures at kevin durant during the offseason uh players were texting them which is legal within their um within their cba but um it was it was during the playoffs against Oklahoma City, a seven-game series in which they won, and Cleveland, a seven-game series in which they lost, that they realized there was probably more parity than they originally thought. But the mm-hmm. plan is that, that even if it, if it uh, came to fruition and they ended up winning a championship, the plan was to still sign Kevin Durant because we can eliminate all of our competition in one fell swoop. No NASCAR team did that. I'm curious as to why. Right. Right. Yeah, it's it's a it's a very good point. And um, yeah, it's it's that the the Warriors are a great example. You and I both being big NBA fans, uh, certainly huge disappointment 
in the playoffs for them to have that incredible historic regular season sure. and then lose in seven games to the Cavaliers after they rallied back historically from a 3-1 deficit to Kevin Durant's Oklahoma City Thunder. Right. And and but but to know like 3 months ahead of time like hey, that's the guy we want. And and it wasn't like they this was the Yankees reloading and just hey, how many millions, how many hundreds of millions of dollars do we need to get just to sign that guy? They had to rejigger their team and they gave up some significant role players yes. to, to make that happen. So, um applying that to NASCAR, uh What's interesting to me is like one of the great cliches you always hear right up there with, he didn't forget how to drive, is... Um, <laughs> that's, that's a favorite. I, oh, I, you know that's one of my favorites. Yeah. Another one is uh, that when you're on top, one of the hardest things about staying on top is knowing that you have to keep make changes, mm-hmm. make, making changes to stay there because everybody behind you is going to be, it's, be doing the opposite of what you're doing to get better. And it's and how do you keep the teams that you're outperforming behind you because you can't anticipate really what they're going to do to beat you because what you're doing is working to beat them and why wouldn't you stay with that and it kind of uh, like the, maybe one of the best examples of that might be leading a race at Martinsville uh, late in the game 50 laps to go caution comes out 14 cars in the lead lap if you're the leader and you're dominant and you pit depending on where the cycle is everybody behind you probably will do the opposite right. just stay out. And, and, you know, that's, that's the way that they, they beat you. So applying that to that, like, why do you think, knowing that that is such a time-honored cliche in NASCAR and people believe in that, why do you think that more people maybe aren't, aren't following that in this case and that, and that they are staying kind of status quo for, for this year? You know, I think it's probably the championship format yeah. as it stands. Um, it was, you know, tantamount to a, a game of craps at Homestead. Uh, just how that race would um, would fall into place. The last time I was on your your show, we talked about that. It's just it could end in a variety of situations. We've seen homestead races in the past go in any number of directions. Mm-hmm. Um, it just depends on how good a driver and a team is in that specific situation. That race, Jimmy Johnson, uh, in terms of restarts, was brilliant. Um, and as as fortune would have it. Uh, it, it didn't work out so well for Carl Edwards, but it reshuffled the pack, um, well enough so that Jimmy could emerge as a a race winner and a champion. Right. Um, I think a lot of teams see that are comfortable with what they have in their driver and their crew chief package and stand pat because if the 48 team after a year, like they had, uh, can win a championship in that fashion, right? Why can't we? Right. You know, similar as you're as you're talking about Jimmy here, David. Something that just occurred to me. I, I guess some of this also could be circumstantial, and that if you look back at wholesale changes that have occurred with major teams after a disappointing year, uh, you know, 2014, Joe Gibbs Racing just turned its crew chief driver lineup upside yes. down and basically swapped everybody because it was a, a 2014. Obviously, it was a big disappointment for them. Uh, and it and it, it paid off in their performance from latter half of 15 through most of 16. Um, I think back to Jimmy Johnson winning his fifth championship in 2010, and that year ended with Hendrick swapping out the crew chiefs for the other three drivers um, going into 11. So um, Mark Martin, Jeff Corden, Dale Earnhardt Jr. So I, I, I guess as I'm looking at 2016, it, it suddenly occurs to me, like, just take Hendrick, for example. 
maybe you know, Jimmy wins his seven championship and no one's going to disturb the, the chemistry, the juggernaut that is Jack Mouse and Jimmy Johnson. Or should they? Because that, I mean, but that, because that would be the most shrewd move yeah. um, that Rick Hendrick has made in a long time. And even signing Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Casey Kane, um, they were, those were shrewd moves on the surface. Right. But he brought with them the crew chief that they already had. Tony yeah. Urie Jr. and Kenny Francis came with those drivers. So it was, in effect, a pretty conservative move disguised as a shrewd move. We haven't seen anything truly calculating that would rock the boat. Um, I mean, I, in, in the column, I, I, I asked, what, why isn't Chase Elliott paired with Chad Kanaus yet? Right. Why, why aren't right. you turning the page and moving into the future? Now, look, right. I, I'm not naive to think maybe Chad Kanaus turned it down or there's something better for him on the horizon. But if you're Hendrick Motorsports, don't you have to be thinking that way? Because even though they won a championship, yeah. last year was a down year for them. And then to to go back to what you said about Joe Gibbs Racing, they only had one win in the chase. I right. mean, it was a relative right. no-show. Right. Uh, and they're, I mean, prior to Carl Edwards, they were ready to stand pat. Um, and, and now it looks like the 19 is going to take a little bit of a step backwards, just, you know, going from championship contender to rookie. Um, that's, that's only natural, but, uh, they weren't prepared to make a big change and they probably should have, could have. I guess two ways to look at, at Hendrick and, and specifically Canals Johnson. I, I think you're right. Like that would be shrewd and that would be kind of that that rick hendrick way that magic that midas touch he has right. of just like being able to see the game what like penske can sometimes way before anybody else but i mean it's canals and johnson i mean it's it's that you know they want eight championships together no one's ever done that driver Absolutely. crew chief tandem um you know that they're thinking about history i, I guess like almost i'm saying like even with possibly the the detriment of it not being best for your long-term success, you almost have to, to, to defer to them. And that's as a, instance, as, a right? as a legacy, as a, yeah. as a, as a nod to the legacy, like they've earned the right that if they want to stay together right. and, and who knows too, like I, I you know, Knauss with Elliot would be very, very interesting, but who knows if Chad Knauss wants to keep crew chiefing after, that is true. after this too. Right. Yeah. And that, and that's an unknown. I mean, every, everything in the article is speculation and just throwing it in the air of why didn't it happen? I, I mean, yeah. you know, to be perfectly blunt, I don't know what goes on inside the walls at Hendrick Motorsports. Maybe Chad has no interest in that. Yeah, and maybe. that's why. But, um, but that's you know, Golden State blew up the uh, the much ballyhooed small ball death lineup in very order true. to sign Kevin Durant. Harrison so, Barnes out the door. Yeah, yeah. Very so true. It, it, I mean, eventually, if you if you want to go from good, which there seem to be a lot of good teams going into the new year, if you want to go from good to great. There's going to have to be yeah. a a, um, a casualty on your yeah. uh, on one of the line items. The other thing I guess to look at with Hendrick would be um, it was Elliott's first year, yes. and it seemed like him and Gustafson got along, and it seemed like that that partnership grew, and that as Jimmy found that next gear in the last ten races, even though Elliott didn't get that win, it seemed like Chase was finding it as well, and Absolutely, they, they yeah. should have won Chicago, and and certainly led a lot of laps at, at some of the big speedways. And then if you look at the obviously Dale Jr. I mean, how can you do anything with that team based on just how tumultuous? Which was a really good team. Gre- I mean, uh, Greg, yeah. Greg, Greg, Greg Ives did a great on, job. Based in on his retention numbers, really struggled in his first year. But I thought in year two, and mind you, he had three different drivers to account for. Right. Um, did a really admirable 
job, um, almost winning uh, Phoenix with the same team that won it the year before, but a different driver. Yeah, and then the fourth team, Casey Kane and Keith Rodden. It seemed like the the last ten races they were finally finding themselves. Right, again. That or, just the organizational uh, uh, boom and speed that they found during the chase. Yeah. Um, in terms of an infrastructure standpoint, uh, there, it's probably unparalleled. I mean, it, 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 physically get in your car and drive to the different race shops. You'll see the difference in Hendrick compared to everyone else. <laughs> um, it truly is a campus. Um, it's this big machine. Um, it's going to be tough to duplicate that. But that said, their results on the racetrack last year, I can't envision that they were satisfied with them. Yeah and they chose to just run it back it's interesting and obviously you bring up gibbs that would be very bold after they had one of their best seasons in memory but certainly didn't end it with a championship yes. 16 wins maybe the greatest driver lineup in nascar history maybe four caliber of four drivers we'll never see paired together ever again like like they had last year i think it was dale jared who said on nascar america that he thought that was the greatest four car team in nascar history um and they didn't make changes Another one I'd like to look at maybe, and again, maybe this kind of lends credence to my my totally unsubstantiated um, circumstantial theory, but Stuart Haas Racing would be another example of, okay, um, they're not going to, Harvick and Childers, I mean, Harvick obviously has a lot of clout, yeah. and that's the guy, pretty much his handpicked guy, and you're not going to disturb that. Danica was in her first year with Billy Scott, and obviously struggled immensely and has been candid about it but and maybe at this point it's kind of like what can we do and you you gotta figure this out on your own um kurt bush and tony gibson have something special together and then of course the fourth situation booger ravich working with tony stewart everybody knew i think smoke was uh, honest about and upfront about this as well that they got booger ravich knowing that that he was going to be groomed in that first year as as a cup crew chief to be ready when boyer joined the team so I mean, the the major change with Stuart Haas is the shift to Ford. Right. And, you know, based on that, manufacturer changes are never totally smooth. But let's envision just the best case scenario. What happens if uh, the switch to Ford is everything that Stuart Haas wanted and more, and Kevin Harvick has the fastest car in the series? Well, that actually wouldn't be abnormal. He's had the fastest car in the series each of the last three years. He's only won one championship. And uh, in terms of uh, having the fastest car in a single race dating back to the advent of NASCAR loop data, uh, I think he's had the fastest car something like 35 times and has only won about 34% of the time. Um, Among drivers that have at least five wins during that time, that's the lowest um, rate uh, winning percentage uh, among drivers with the fastest car. So if I'm Harvick's competition, I'm saying, look, let him have the fastest car because we know that apparently there's something that any kind of issue they have is self-inflicted. They'll come back to us. Um, they'll go and win their four or five races, but it's not like this championship uh, is gone. It's not, and it's not in the distance for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it just goes back to the point that I don't think anybody fears anyone there's zero desperation and that's why you saw a number of teams stand pat right right so david it's always been a monkey see monkey do style sport where you know, everybody knows if you know if you paid attention for 
uh, many years. The, you've heard drivers and crew chiefs talk about this. The reason NASCAR parks the haulers right next to each other, it's not by accident. Those are big garages <laughs> where yeah. they could, they have plenty of room to spread out. They do that because NASCAR wants everybody to see what everybody else is doing so they can steal each other's trade secrets and sort of have this uh, de facto um, system of enforcing parity. But does that play into this at all? Do you think teams, like you said, like Team C, hey, Hendrick didn't make any huge swings in terms of personnel changes last year, even though you know we heard at Miami that Jimmy Johnson and Rick Hendrick both said they discussed midway through last year maybe splitting him and Knauss, and then they didn't do it, and they won the championship. Do you think other teams look at that and say, like, like they look at their stuff in the garage and say, we need to be doing that, like maybe monkey see, monkey do? Yeah, perhaps. I mean, it's that's been the uh the historic nature of the sport uh even as you as you mentioned with uh the engineering boom a couple of years ago where every crew chief needed to be an engineer i don't know that it necessarily was an engineering boom i think it was just they were just looking for intelligent crew chiefs and different ways to go about problem solving um whoever whoever the best problem solver is deserves to be on the pit box in my right. opinion but um it, it could be, but I mean, just to me, everything circles back to the way the championship format uh, stands. There are 16 teams that now have a legitimate shot sure. in case just a race bounces their way yep. to win a championship. And there wasn't, there wasn't a team that won eight, the, like the last team that won eight races in a year was Denny Hamlin yep. and the 11 team that was what, 2006, 2010, 2010. Okay. Yep. So it's been years since that ha- that's happened. Not one car has just run away from the field. It's not Formula One. Yeah, you know NASCAR, as you said, doesn't allow one team to get too far or one manufacturer to get too far away from the rest of the pack. Right. Um, so that's why, to me, it's just curious. There's there are moves to be had. You know, Cole Pern is is freezing in Colorado right now, and I'm not sure really why. He, he should he should be in Charlotte with a bigger team, but. Uh, hey, as long as he's happy and the team's running well, I'm sure that that's okay. But nobody, uh, nobody apparently bothered to take a, a good enough swing at him. I want to get to that. You had that as one of your suggestions, along with the Canales Elliott pairing. I'm, I'm going to get to that. But first, I just want to touch really briefly and put put a bow on the the this really interesting point you raise about no dominance, as you mentioned. Um, and maybe is that related to the expanded playoffs? You know, now since 2014, the uh, the standard has kind of changed where it went from one point there were 10 teams in the chase, then 12, now 16 make the playoffs. Does that maybe change the game in terms of what teams deem success? Or is it also that, you know, you mentioned Hamlin was the last team to win eight races. That was 2010. Yeah. Last year, they opened the season with a Daytona 500 win. Sure. And I don't have the stats right in front of me, David, but I, don't, I think they maybe had one top 10 in their next eight to 10 races. And Hamlin pretty much admitted we were trying stuff. We were experimenting. It wasn't even necessarily setup stuff. We just approached things differently because of the way the structure is. Do you think that plays into it? Oh, sure. I mean, yeah. we, we've, we've heard that the, the 48 team will do that once they've clinched a spot. Once, once teams clinch a spot in the chase, they're free to try anything and everything that they think is going to work um, come late in the season. Uh, that coupled with the fact that this sport has become much smarter than it was, and there are good people at every team that are making their race cars competitive. Uh, ideas, uh, good ideas, aren't just uh, had by the biggest teams right. in this sport. 
Um, I mean, you say monkey see, monkey do. Well, the original the original monkey, the patient zero monkey, <laughs> is changing yeah. because there are engineers, there are smart mechanics, they're everywhere now. Um, so it's gotten closer. Uh, so the so any any small advantage or any what used to be a small advantage is a big advantage. Yeah. Um, might not last long, but and then it just goes back to the back to the theory of you know is why is every team complacent when any advantage is a huge advantage? Yeah. You, you mentioned that that point about the engineering and, and everybody getting smarter and that kind of changing the game. Um, we, we, I've heard this in the course of reporting over the last few years. It's just, you know, the simulation programs are so high fidelity, right. so precise, so accurate, uh, that real-world testing now is, is virtually an afterthought. And you're right. It, it People don't understand, I think, I heard Jeff. I remember Jeff Burton saying this once uh, shortly after he joined Richard Childress Racing, and, and things have changed even more at RCR since then. But you know, as he put it, you know, Richard Childress Racing, racing up there in Welcome, um, on the outskirts, not even the outskirts of Charlotte, beyond that. And he would, as as Burton put it, he once said, you know, people think we're just out there with cherry pickers and trees that were a bunch of like hillbillies, like, but like they have a lot of technology <laughs> yeah. at Richard Childress Racing, and like they've got like yeah. Dr. Eric Warren, they have a PhD, yes, in charge of their competition they, they department. They have over time they've built an incredible infrastructure, yeah. and that's yeah. the, and that's the same for a lot of teams. They're, yeah, they're they're taking methodical approaches to just build up their personnel uh, to compete with an organization the size of Hendrick, and and. and Perhaps this is a result of Hendrick being so dominant for so long that every team had to take a slow burn approach just to create this kind of parity. But now that we're at that level, it's it's equal, and we're looking for the next advantage. And as you build that personnel, you you want to keep the continuity because it's not like the interchangeableness, say, of like a car chief. Is, is there real like intellectual property? Right. Like when you're talking about engineers and guys who work on laptops, it's kind of different. I guess right. Is that that's where we're getting at? I think that's fair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, it's in in luck. I mean, you're going to have every crew chief is going to have their own way to run a team. They're going to have their own people, the ones that they trust to run uh, the program the way they feel it should be run. Um, but when there's a dearth of dominance, um, the nature is to just fall back, sit with what you have and see what happens. In the case of the 48 team, there wasn't a dominant team. They went into the chase, they made some minor tweaks and that was it. And then the race fell their way and they won a seventh championship. Right. Um, I would argue it's probably the weakest of their seven championships, but that doesn't matter because that's not going to be on Jimmy's hall of fame plaque. It's going to say seven championships, not, not six titles and one week title. Yep. Um, and teams are going to, see what occurred there they're going to emulate that approach let's talk about some of these changes okay uh, that, that you you wanted to see some bold moves certainly uh and one of them was canals and chase elliott the other one you just mentioned was a canadian in denver cole, cole pern you think should relocate into the into the south and i think you threw out there that that team penske maybe should have looked at at going after cole pern uh, they t- tell us your, your reasoning, your thought process there. Right. Well, I mean, any, any team could have made this, but it's clear by his, um, his green flag pit cycle retention numbers, um, and the, the consistent speed that the 78 car had that Cole Pern and that team in, in Colorado, uh, are really, really good. And if 
there aren't headhunters from other teams paying them a significant amount of tension, I think that's a mistake. They're deserving certainly of a raise and perhaps a relocation. Um, to me, Penske seems like a natural fit. Uh, Joey had the sixth fastest car in terms of average green flag speed last season. Uh, the wins weren't necessarily there for him um, as they were two years ago. Uh, and he struggled to maintain his track position. And one of the reasons was Todd Gordon, as a race caller, uh, was subpar based on his peers. Um, Cole Pern was not. If Logano had uh, that extra positional supplementation, he'd be fine. Mm -hmm. And we'd be talking about a more serious contender. Uh, between uh, Joey Logano and, and Kyle Larson, between those two, uh, they're drivers right now that are producing beyond what is expected of drivers their age. But they're with teams and equipment that can only allow them to go so far. And when we talk about green flag pit cycle retention, David, it, it, is it mainly just knowing when, as, as we call it, the, the concept for those who might be novice race fans, the concept of short pitting is bringing your guy in before anybody else during a green flag run in the hopes of fresher tires and, and catapulting up. Is that, is that either, the either, to, way to either protect your own position or to jump other positions? Um, uh, so it's just having that sixth sense for knowing, right. Gordon was below a 60%, um, uh, retainer of Joey's positions. And that's just not, that's not going to cut it when you have guys hitting the high seventies, um, like a Cole Pern, like a Rodney shoulders that are, that are going out there and are avid position defenders, uh, for their driver. Um, the more, uh, stretched out, uh, green flag runs that we see. And I, I wrote an article earlier this year that the, uh, four of the top six crashers, uh, most frequent crashers over the last three years don't have jobs heading into this year. Um, well, they're out of the fray. I mean, that, yeah. that's, that's going to directly impact every individual race, um, on that logic, we should see more green flag runs, um, potentially more lengthy green flag runs uh, and less cautions. But um, and if it comes to that, uh, the uh, the ability of a crew chief to call a race is going to become more important. OK. Any more thoughts on I feel like Canals and Elliot, you kind of made your case there. I guess anything else to say on that one? Or? Yeah, look, I mean, Elliot's again, one of the the kids that's quickly assimilated to the cup series um and it isn't isn't totally an indictment on on the dynamic between jimmy and chad which i mean it's hard to argue that they still have right have their relationship but uh jimmy's gonna be 42 next fall and at some point hendrick's going to have to make a move to shift um uh the the lead role among that team to a driver like Chase or a driver like William Byron, and, and maybe there's you know the the co-alpha situation, but either way, I, I don't I don't know that you can have Chad Canals paired with a driver that's gonna be hit by age. It's inevitable. Um, not to say that Jimmy's not gonna compete for a championship again this year. He he absolutely can. Yep. But when do you make that move? Right. And when do you let that um, that assimilation begin? Yep. Um, eventually Chase and, and whoever the crew chief for the future is, and maybe it's Alan, but whoever the crew chief for the future is with these young drivers, they're going to have to go through a growth period 
might as well let that be now when there's plenty of parity. And if it if they happen to hit upon magic, then I it it might be unparalleled uh, just based on what's around them. All right, last suggestion you had, David, was uh, you can tell me if I got this right. Pretty much, Joe Gibbs Racing Racing should focus all of its energy, maybe not all of its energy, should focus more of its collective energy on the Kyle Busch Adam Stevens pairing. I think because you basically made the case that Kyle Busch is. Well, he's the 2015 champion and probably the most talented of Joe Gibbs racing drivers and maybe the most talented in the series, if not among those in the world. And then I think you make the case that Adam Stevens is one of the best strategists today in cup. Is that, and, and so what, what do you mean, I guess, by focus energies, first of all? Well, this is, this is the craziest recommendation among them because Toyota has done a fantastic job of, of building their, I mean, I don't even know what you call it, just a, building their, their program between Joe Gibbs Racing and Furniture Row Racing um, into such that it wouldn't be a shock if all four cars come homestead were Toyotas. Yeah. And I think that's their goal. I mean, every every manufacturer will sure. say that that's their goal, but they have actually planned for this to occur. Um, it almost happened. I mean, you know, barring something at Phoenix there, barring that Kenseth crash, and yeah. and maybe if LaBush gets some luck there in the closing laps, it, it could have been three cars yeah. at Miami. Now, look, I mean, yeah. this I'm, I'm not even going to um, wither away and say this is a realistic recommendation. It's, to- <laughs> it's totally unrealistic. But yeah. at the same time, uh, Kyle Busch uh, is on path to becoming one of the sport's all-time greats. He is every bit of the character that Dale Earnhardt Sr. was, that Richard Petty was. Talent, not, I mean, not not so sure. I'm, not, I'm hesitant to say that just yet, but they were inscrutable as teammates. Yeah. They worked better as solo flyers. Right, right. I'd like to see Kyle with a concentrated effort with Adam Stevens, which is a crew chief that works for him, what what are they what are they capable of doing is this a 10 to 12 win team right um it's almost like a single car approach within the walls of if a four you car team. if you out <laughs> yeah if like if you just allocated all of your all of your funding all of your research um what would happen yeah um i don't i think the 18 team isn't going to ever prove what they're truly capable of because of that if you're joe gibbs racing obviously you're going to have the four strongest teams you possibly can not faulting anybody within those walls for that and if you're toyota you're doing the same thing but i don't know we are we missing some greatness from bush uh that's that's my question question for you that came up uh when i was a guest on uh doing my regular spot on the the morning drive on sirius xm nascar radio with Mike Bagley and Pete Pistoni, former guests here on this podcast. I can't remember what drove it, David. I think it was some sort of absence by a by a coach or or something. Uh, but they were positing like the question of like which crew chief would be most missed during a race weekend in Cup, and like the the parameters were uh, that the crew because I I asked for like some clarity. Like the, the crew chief still could work in the shop during the week. It was just like on race weekend and race day. Like who would be – like if you took them out, didn't let them sit on the pit box, as, as Pistoni put it, as Pete had laughingly put it, like put them in like some sort of sin bin uh, in on top of the, the grandstands next to the NASCAR officials tower where they couldn't communicate with anybody. They just, just had to sit there and watch. Absolutely not possible. <laughs> Skype isn't right. even uh, realistic. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I said Stevens. I, I and I think partially because of your influence. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, yeah. it, when when you have 
a crew chief as effective as that in I mean, okay, so keep keep in mind, I, I mean, effective being a relative term, um, their pit cycle retention was about 79%. The series average was 65 And then specifically when pitting from a top three position, Stevens, Stevens successfully maintained Kyle's position 83.33% of the time. The series average was just under 55%. Wow. It's not close wow um so let's let's i just want to reframe that real quick so everybody else in the series you pit that's in the, in the last uh quarter of the race you said oh no right. this is the entire okay, race. okay the entire race yeah. you, you pit during a green flag cycle uh most of the series you have a 50 50 shot of losing the spot that you you entered the pits in like when you come out you will be behind where you entered right and, i'd say 65 35 is probably more okay yeah but 83 percent of the time kyle bush maintains his position from a top three position from a top three position yeah so i mean that's a that's a huge advantage if you're one of the lead cars because that's such a tough area of the racetrack to maintain it's it's not easy to keep track position there's a reason that steve letart and dale jarrett harp on track position because that's the most important element of a race where you're at Mm -hmm. matters Mm -hmm. um the fact that the 18 team can be so cavalier about keeping their positions is incredible it frees them up to do so much right um an unencumbered kyle bush is a dangerous kyle bush and that's what adam stevens provides uh so yeah you're right on the money with uh, the assessment that he's probably the the most valuable uh to his race team that's actually why i, I named him my crew chief of the year right on the on motorsportsanalytics.com right interesting yeah obviously i, I mulled canals for a little while but when they told me that it was more about just on race day on the pit box i feel like canals you know doubt chad canals at your own peril obviously on, on various fronts he's probably the greatest leader of of all time in terms of a te- of teams in, in nascar right. but like but i think the 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 magic of Canals is, I mean, his retention numbers last year were in line with the series average, but he really uh, did a good job of picking his spots. Um, yeah. You yeah. know, just keeping Jimmy in the hunt, like it, in at Kansas when they were having off days, he landed them four positions in both Kansas races. Um, that's what, I mean, Chad, I don't, don't want to make another basketball comparison, but LeBron James always surveys what needs to happen and then reacts accordingly. Uh, to me, that's Chad Knauss's M.O. as a crew chief, is right. he understands what's going on in the race, and then acts accordingly. He's got right. a really good driver. Yeah. Um, he, doesn't have to, he doesn't have to apply much if he doesn't need to. Yeah. I, I, I think even he would concede that he is not the tactical wizard that maybe some other guys are, and I've heard him say this publicly before. He, he's, okay. he struggles with cu- calling races now versus early in his career. He feels like he's gotten harder. He hasn't always kept up. And yeah. as you said, like he's probably done everything he can to keep up. Right. But um, I think that, um, yeah, I, I, I think that like, in ter- like his greatest strength to me is, and maybe this might be his future is he can be in that shop Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, directing the entirety of where Hendrick yeah. is going. I look stuff. forward to him explaining those, uh, those strengths and weaknesses during his hall of fame speech. Oh yeah. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> when, when he's finally, when, when he's inducted. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, yeah. 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 But yeah, again, like on, on the pit box and like, I gotta say this at my own peril and, and perhaps I'm biased cause I've spent a lot of time around it. But I also thought this when, when I covered him, I, I think Steve Letarte was probably better at outwitting uh, the competition with short pitting, like like the two wins at Pocono in 2014 for Dale Jr. were because Steve Wittart saw the game in a way that 
a lot of people didn't that day and knew if I bring Dale Jr. on this lap, right, we will we will get out with the lead and we will win. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, a lot, what uh, what makes a lot of crew chiefs good crew chiefs is the ability to show restraint in some races and then capitalize, like you said, Latart with Pocono and others. Sometimes you just pick your spots, right? And that's when you decide to make uh, a real strategic call on whether you win this race, right? Um, and 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 sometimes there's uh, the instance of over crew chiefing, but. That's uh, that's not a problem with guys like Stevens and Canals. Right. So we've been talking about all this data that you have, uh, David, that you, that you that you use in a lot of your work. And um, I had Mike Ford on the podcast uh, late last year, and, and he was talking about how he hears from teams that they can't get enough of loop data, that they always want more of it, give us more analytics. Is it being applied uh, the way it should be? Because like your column would seem to indicate maybe no, <laughs> that maybe like even though teams are, are ravenous to have all these numbers and to like help us statistically figure out like where we can be better, it sounds like it's not quite maybe at the NBA level where you have people on staff of NBA teams who are solely in charge of like analytics and like how do we use this to make personnel yeah, no, decisions. No, you're not, you're not seeing that uh, just yet. But I mean, there's, there's really talented engineers on every team. Mm-hmm. Um they have spreadsheet on top of spreadsheet and just mountains of data um, in terms of how they're setting up their race cars, how they're calling their races. These guys are really intelligent. They, they know what data works for them and what's just noise. Um, where I think you're seeing a lack of data use is most likely in the front office with some decision making. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, it's gotten better over the years, but gone are the days where you're seeing drivers being hired simply because they're names, they're, they're older names. Right. Um, I think nowadays we have a better understanding of the age curve of when drivers peak, which is age 39. Um, but, I mean, there's just going to be there's going to be decision-making that will make you scratch your head. That's really the only instance where I've seen it um, – go completely off the reservation but in terms of just calling races i know there's a lot of engineers uh working hard uh to figure out the riddle of real-time data uh and being able to interpret that in time to make a competitive call Mm -hmm. Uh, we'll hit that point soon i Mm -hmm. mean there's there is a lot of talent to be had in that garage area Um, i don't think race teams are missing that specifically but it might just be some some simple front office decision making. Um, you question what data they're using or what where some of these decisions are coming from. Mm-hmm. And again, I mean, I'm just this is pre, I'm, I'm throwing uh, peanuts in the gallery right now, right? right? right. Like well, I'm so not <laughs> I'm not I'm not behind these closed doors. Sure. So there's always a personality effect, a chemistry effect, yeah. and it's it's a balance. So it's not, you know... it's talking it, about 500 people all right, trying to work it's together. Not, there, yeah, there's it's things not we can't simple. be privy to that would make sense if we were behind those walls and saw I've had it. I've had yeah. conversations with crew chiefs, and I've asked them what their biggest challenge is, and it's managing people. Yeah. Because the, <laughs> yeah. the, the building race cars and going racing is the fun part. That's yeah. what they've prepared their entire lives for, but... Being a leader of people yeah. is something that doesn't just happen yeah. overnight. It doesn't come naturally, so it's something that they have to acclimate to. Um, so that's been the for them. That seems to be the toughest challenge. 
going to wrap up here with okay. uh, Carl Edwards. You know, we, obviously we, we right. can't escape without discussing some Carl Edwards angle. <laughs> this is as we sit here taping this uh, the day after his, his bombshell uh, news conference, which followed the bombshell uh, announcement uh, the day before. And uh, the way I'd like to approach it, David, is, is his replacement because um, surely a lot of the focus now turns to Daniel Suarez, who steps into Carl Edwards' ride in some ways, in a good, and I got asked this question a lot this week. And in some ways, it, it, he's in a good position. He had, he had his breakthrough year in 2016. He wins, um, has the historic win at, at Michigan, and then wins the championship with a really emphatic uh, performance at Homestead Miami Speedway. And uh, you wrote about him last year, and you said that uh, he has shown the ability to improve and show that he can figure things out. Um, as as he goes, and I think that's going to be really important because I think you know when I tell people I think there are good signs here, and obviously it's a good narrative for NASCAR to have a Mexican-born driver in a series that's trying to become more diverse. Uh, the flip side of all of that is the expectation game and the fact that he is being thrust into uh, the the deep end of the pool, right. never having started against a lot of these guys, and there have already been the the comparisons to another driver who flamed out Joey Logano with Joe Gibbs. Obviously, he was able to resurrect his career and, and become a contender. But I think what's interesting there, too, is like with Logano, I feel like we always knew the upside, the potential was there. I think with Suarez, like we knew he was good, but I don't know. No one's talked about him the way Mark Martin once did about Logano. So well, okay. let me unpack all of that. For right. Us. So what, what with, with Daniel, we all were an audience to his improvement. So in – when he was competing for Rev Racing in the KNNE series, uh, it was uh, he made 24 starts before he first won a race. Um, and it was around the time he won the uh, the Battle of the Beach at Daytona. And I asked him uh, what changed because it went from Daniel being kind of a, a, a mid-pack driver to all of a sudden he was ripping off finishes of second, second, first, first, third, second. And, it, and this wasn't just a, an aberrational uh, streak. This looked like something legitimate. So I asked him, Daniel, what changed? And, um, and I'm thinking it can be a variety of things. They hit on something. I, I don't know. But his response was, oh, I learned English. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I can see how that would be a game changer. And, right. he, and he talked about the communication between um, him and his crew. He had to become more fluent in the English language. And the moment that happened, he and his team were able to communicate better. Better communication led to much better finishes, showing the true talent that Daniel actually had. Now, it took 48 races for him to win at the Xfinity Series level. And the difference last year uh, from the first five races to the last five races was night and day. So in the first five races, he retained his preferred groove restart position 50% of the time. Basically a coin flip in a Joe Gibbs racing car. Which you should be at the that Kyle is, Bush level. You should be at 80%. That, right? is, that is bad. Yeah. Right? So, and, and, that, <laughs> and there was reason to think like, oh, this, this might not work for this kid. Yeah. From that point forward, from race six to the end of the regular season, he retained preferred groove positions 87% of the time. The Kyle Busch level. In the yeah. chase, he retained 80% of the time. And it was even, ironically, at Homestead, it was a late race restart that won him the championship. I was watching that uh, 
with my wife and I feel like he restarted fourth on the outside, but I told my wife, I wouldn't be shocked if he's in the lead coming out of turn two. And sure enough, that's what he was. But for me to have that level of confidence in him after his first five races of the year last year, that represents a tremendous difference. Now, what we as observers didn't see was the amount of time that Suarez put into the simulator with his crew chief, Scott Graves. All of all the Toyota drivers do that. Toyota has created a phenomenal culture where their young drivers want to learn. Other manufacturers don't have that. Suarez took full advantage of that. I've heard uh, others mention this week that he's been in all team briefings. He goes to the racetrack on, on cup race days just for the intent of learning. So clearly, he has a work ethic that works. There's not, I, I don't have a stat that incorporates work ethic, but that is qualitative data. Mm-hmm. Okay. We, that is something we know that is something to expect. So the immediate returns and, and granted, theoretically he could win the Daytona 500, but that's besides the point. The immediate returns, um, probably won't be high, mm-hmm. but that's okay because the Suarez will see early in 2017 will pale in comparison to the Suarez that we see late in 2017 solely based on his track record. Yeah. Um, it'll be a year of growth, but the good news is we'll probably be able to watch and track that growth. So if you're Gibbs, don't panic if he struggles a little bit in the first five no, races this year, like yeah. like he did last year. Like, no, let him figure it out. Yeah, because like, obviously, you know, going back to Logano, and again, there are a lot of reasons this isn't apples to apples, but I'm sure this will, <laughs> because myself and my colleagues are so lazy, uh, this narrative will come up that like, hey, remember Joey Logano started 2009, he crashed out of the Daytona 500, and then it was all downhill the next Well, right, but races. I mean, but yeah. but Suarez isn't, he's he's a, a completely different driver stylistically than Logano was. For one, Daniel is, is has been a relatively clean driver. He had a below series average crash frequency last year in the Xfinity series. Um, the, the number that I always... Uh, home in on for whether a driver is going to immediately translate to the cup level is adjusted pass efficiency. So a few years ago, it was announced that Kyle Larson's going to move from Turner Motorsports in the Xfinity series to the, the Ganassi 42 ride. Um, and there were plenty of people in the media and the industry that second guessed that because he hadn't won a race at the time. He only had three top three finishes as at the time of his hiring um, those, those, those numbers are great, but wins are, uh, so correlated with team strength that you just, that's unfair to a driver, uh, like a Larson yep. who had such a high pass efficiency. It was off the charts that from where I sat, I felt this kid's going to immediately translate to the cup level. The same thing occurred with Chase Elliott. The same thing will occur to Eric Jones uh, for Eric Jones. Um, Suarez was a below average passer in 2015 was a little bit more uh, a little bit higher uh, in 2016 um, but there isn't anything to indicate he's going to light the world on fire so it just goes back to that track record of you need to be patient with him but he's shown via work ethic and that it's going to pan out eventually yeah Uh, you know I I go back to the intangibles here and you kind of hit on it that we heard Matt Kenseth say this week that the thing that's impressed him most about Daniel Suarez is he he does just sit in on the briefings and understand what's going on and really puts in the work. And if you can impress a veteran like Matt Kenseth, who has that Midwestern Wisconsin mentality where work ethic is everything, right. like that's half the battle of like getting a guy like that on your side that you would think that's going to be enormously helpful for Suarez and 17. Last one real quick. 
Uh, you mentioned Eric Jones. Yes. Uh, do you think uh, what happens if the Carl Edwards decision happens back in July uh, and, and Jones steps into that ride? Are we having an entirely different conversation? Are we having a conversation about a kid who maybe he could win the championship as a rookie. Well, um, I, I don't know that it would have happened just because the era sponsorship yeah, has true. such a, a strong relationship with, um, with with Daniel. Right. Um, but who's to say Eric can't win the championship this year? That, the that Furniture Row, Row Racing team is really strong. And, you know, I, I've written about this on the website. Eric is going to crash a lot this year. Uh, it would not shock me, but that's just – what young kids often do, they often crash. Um, the good news is, is his highs are really high. His ability to work through traffic is immediately um, translatable to the Cup Series. Um, he's clearly able to finish races. He was a little overzealous um, at the end of the year. It's a generous word. At the yeah. end of the year last year, but. Um, you'll you'll experience a, a growing process any driver will uh and will witness that but he'll be fine yeah. again 16 teams make the chase yeah. um he there's there's no reason why that team can't do it and push forward um and just happens that the chase happens at the end of the year so it gives him plenty of time to sort of um knock some of the cobwebs off yeah just see what happens We'll certainly be keeping an eye on him, on Daniel Suarez, on everybody else as the, the season cranks up here uh, in about a month. We'll, we'll be heading to Speed Weeks, and the, the conversation will change at Daytona. David, thank you so much for lifting the lid, as we say, and setting the table. Absolute pleasure to have you, yes. and uh, hope we can do it again in a few months. Always a pleasure. Thanks again to David Smith for making time for us. It's always appreciated when he brings his insight to the NASCAR and NBC podcast, and a reminder that you should check out his website, motorsportsanalytics.com, for some great NASCAR content. Some of it is subscription-based, but I promise you it's worth it if you like NASCAR. And as, and as I mentioned, the writing is, is really good, too. And thanks again to producer Tess Quinlan, as always. We had a good meeting last week about our 2017 plans for the NASCAR and NBC podcast. Tess had some great ideas that I'm looking forward to sharing and executing in the near future. We probably won't have an episode next week, uh, barring another big-name driver deciding to abruptly walk away from NASCAR. But I've got some good guests lined up, and as always, I'm not going to jinx them, but I'll hint that one of them would be our first crew chief on this podcast, and this is a crew chief with a championship. Thanks for listening. If you've got ideas, send them to me on Twitter, at Nate Ryan is my account name, and we'll be back soon with another edition of the NASCAR and NBC Podcast. I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 plus Fuel System Cleaner plus Fuel Stabilizer delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. 
Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.